This morning uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 2, uh, verses 17 through 29. Uh, if, if you've been here, you've, you've kind of learned that it's so far in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, Paul is building this argument explaining our desperate need for the gospel. See, Paul has already painted at the end of chapter 1 the godlessness that was found among the pagans and the Gentiles uh, back there in the first century, those that did not have the law of God and, and how their sins were just being built up, storing the wrath of God on them for, judge, for the day of judgment. And then Paul catches the Jews just here in his argument, the Jewish believers uh, is saying, yeah, Paul, you're right. Those people are bad. They're doing the bad things. That's right. You, you lay on them how bad they are. But then Paul points out the hypocrisy of these Jewish believers. And because they assumed that because they had this special relationship with God as God's chosen people, that despite that relationship, what we understand is, is they're living the same kind of life that the Gentiles were living. The same godlessness was found among these Jewish believers. And so that's a simple explanation of what we've seen here so far. Remember last week we looked at the problem with morality. This week we're going to really dive into the problem of religion. And this really kind of hits home uh, for me in, in a lot of ways. And we'll hear that at the end after we dive through this text this morning, and then really grasp on what the Lord wants us to take away from this this morning. So we're going to just jump right in. Sound good? Amen. Okay, great. Let's do it. Verse 17 and 18 says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. Okay, let's stop here for one second. What is Paul doing? Paul has already pointed out to the Jews that, that they're not standing in the right position before God right now. But then he continues. But like any good debater, Paul builds them up, right? He's, he's building them up to then tear them down is, is what's happening. He wants them to recognize where they're standing falsely before God. So Paul's directed, speaking directly to the Jewish believers and he writes this extremely long run-on sentence. And we're going to break this up, okay, and kind of take it in bite-sized pieces. So we've got 17 and 18. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is looking at the Jewish believers and their argument. They're thinking, hey, I am made righteous because I am a Jew. That is why I am righteous. That's like us saying, I am a Christian because I am an American. All right? That doesn't work that way. So what they were boasting in was their position. They had this position, this covenant that God made with them. All right, They were the chosen nation. God had given them the law. No other nation ever in history on the planet Earth has had a clearer manifestation of God given to them. See, the law not only had the Ten Commandments, but it also had all the information that revealed God's greatness and his character to them. But it also showed them his great standard and how far we all fall away from that standard. So Paul says, because you have this, you boast in it. 
You boast in it. You, you then know God's will. That's awesome. You, you are proved. You approve what is excellent and what is superior because you have the law. You've been taught this from the very beginning. And the Jewish believers, I think you start seeing them going, yes, Paul, you finally start understanding what we're talking about. You understand our side of the argument. Let's continue. Paul continues to build them up. Verse 19 and 20. It says, if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So he's saying, look what you guys have. It's amazing. Paul continues to build their side of the argument. He says, you yourself, you're a Jew. You have all this great wisdom from the law. And you have this great position in standing for God, which has been granted to you from the covenant that was made to Israel so long ago. And you guys are the perfect guides to the blind. You're the perfect guides to the blind because you can show those who are without the law the way. You're a bright light to those who are living in darkness. You can instruct all those who are foolish and make them wise. You can teach children, those with the, with the, that are so moldable. And you can, you can help them sh- and shape them into the knowledge of who God is. So because you're Jews, then God will surely save you. Because he gave you all of this, the embodiment, the knowledge of truth. So you can see those Jews kind of standing there going, yeah, Paul, we are a light to the darkness. Yes, we are teachers of the truth. Yes, we guide people. We help them know fully who God is. You finally get it, Paul. You finally understand our position. All right, let's move on to something better. It's kind of what, what Paul has set them up here for. But then we see Paul quickly kicks that pedestal that they've placed themselves on out from underneath them. Paul says, you think you know all of this. And you have this great standing before God, but you completely missed the point. So what is the point that the Jews missed in the law? Well, the point that they missed was obeying it. Was following it. See, much like what we see in our culture today, the Jewish believers, they believed that they inherently deserved everything. We deserve it. It's our right. I'm Jewish. God is going to love me and going to save me no matter what. No matter what I do, no matter what comes out of my mouth, I'm Jewish. God is for me. Let's read verse 21 and 22. It says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you not steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? See, with a swift kick, Paul kicks out that pedestal. And he says, do you not hear what's coming out of your own mouth when you speak? They're using the bad parenting model of do what I say and not what I do. 
Anybody parent that way? It doesn't work, right? We, we can't do that, and that's, that is the model that the Jewish believers were using. But Paul lists out three lessons that the law sh- that the, from the law that they should know but break. It's theft, adultery, and idolatry. All right, the first two are pretty self-explanatory. I think, I think we understand, you know, you preach against stealing, but do you steal? You say, do not commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? This last one's a little bit harder to understand. It might be confusing. Idolatry says you preach against idols. Do you rob temples? See, Paul is not saying that they actually rob temples here. Or he probably would have listed that within the theft section. Like, I think that makes sense. But that they have created idols for themselves in the love of money. Saying that you are not giving back to God what ultimately belongs to him. But I don't think it's just a money issue that he's talking about. It's also the things that we want. And it's the things that we want that take the place of God's throne in our heart. So remember, we allow God to be the, th- the God of our heart, and we say, you know what, God, you sit over here while I chase after this idol that I want. And that is what's happening. Or even maybe money can be a blanket of protection instead of trusting in God's protection. I think this gives us a little better uh, idea of what he's saying here when he's saying you rob from temples. Basically, you're robbing from God. You're robbing from the temple of God, which is your heart. So these are all colorful examples of law breaking. Now, did the Jews break all of these laws? No. But Paul is building this argument saying that this is generally true of all of us. And all the Jews are guilty before God because they have not kept the law fully. Now, verse 23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. You say you're a Jew with all of this wisdom in the law, yet you dishonor the Lord by breaking his law. You're not doing what the law says, yet you believe it to be true. It's hypocritical again. See, Paul is building his case. Verse 24, it says, for... As it is written. So Paul is now pointing back to the Old Testament, right? He's he's saying, now let's look at our own scriptures. He says, the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. See, the Jews were, the Jewish believers were claiming to have a righteousness that they really did not possess. Paul is quoting the Old Testament, saying, because of your hypocrisy, You cause others to blaspheme God. You cause others to mock God. And this is true of Christianity today. Because we can call ourselves Christians and we stand out there with our Christian flag and we say, yes, we are believers in Jesus Christ. And then we go and we do something completely opposite of what we know to be true in his word. And so then the outside world looks at the church And says, I don't want anything a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. There's no difference happening in there. And so then they mock our God. They blaspheme our God. Verse 25 through 29. 
Paul now turns to a symbol, a, a, a symbol of their Jewishness that they put all of their faith into. He says this, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who physically, who is physically uncircumcised, uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code of circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. See, Paul continues to build his case against these Jewish believers that were relying on their Jewishness. The old covenant was marked by a sign of circumcision. And circumcision was very important to Paul's understanding of redemption and of the law and of the gospel. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign that God gave to his people of his covenant promise, starting with Abraham. And this was a sign that God had chosen then to show his grace. So what the Jews had forgotten was that circumcision does not guarantee salvation. And it never did. It only has value or is profitable if we obey the law, if they obeyed the law. See, the Jews thought just because they had biological roots with Abraham and they practiced the ritual of circumcision that they would be saved. Paul explains that his thought on this by saying that your circumcision cannot save you because even if you break one law, you become uncircumcised. Therefore, there is profit only in obedience. That's obedience to the word. So now verse 28 and 29, let's look at that again. For no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly. See, true circumcision is not outward and physical. Remember, man re relies on the outward appearance. We judge on what we see, but the Lord looks at the heart, right? The Lord looks at the heart. So Jesus said in Matthew 23, 5 of the Pharisees, he said, look, everything they do, is for men to see. Basically, the Jewish believers here were still living life externally, paying no attention to what's going on inside of their heart where God looks. And since God is more concerned about what's going on inside of the heart of man, knowing that if there is heart change, there's going to be external change also. So Paul states that it's a matter of the heart. You're a Jew by the work of the Spirit and not by the letter. The Spirit will do the work that the law was never meant to accomplish. And that is changing the heart. The Spirit of God is going to change the heart. And then he closes with, in this section, his praise is not from man, but from God. 
Therefore, our concern, our concern should be about what God thinks and not what others think. That's where our focus should be. So what do we do with all of this? Where do we go? Because I'm not a Jew. I can't rely on my Jewish heritage to save me because I don't have it. And, and I assume that most of us in this room and online do not have that, that heritage either. But there are things that I believe that Paul can point out to us in today's church that are similar to what the Jewish believers were doing back in the first century. Because in a lot of ways, I think the church in America has become religious. We've become religious. We've put our hopes in the things that we do for God as opposed to our hope in God. So, this morning we have two points. The first point being, religious pride can't save you. Religious pride can't save you. Just like the Jews, we can very easily lose our focus on the truth of God's word and become prideful of, in our own faith and put our faith in what we know. Put our faith in what we understand of the scriptures. Put our faith in who we think we are instead of placing our faith in the God who saves us. Many people in the church, just like the Jews, are masters of the masquerade. We parade around pretending to have a form of righteousness, yet possess nothing. We're empty. We're empty because we've never trusted in the saving blood of Jesus Christ. We, we put our faith in a prayer that was said long ago that we didn't mean. Or we put our faith in a growing knowledge of God's word that we never surrendered to. Or we put our trust in church attendance or church membership. Or even just acting good instead of the blood of Christ. See, and this is the most difficult issue. It's, it's a very hard point to understand because pride is a hard hill to climb over and to get through. Because the problem with religious pride is that we think we know everything there is to know. We think we understand it. We've got it. I don't need any more. I don't need to know anymore because I understand. I have arrived. And that's where we don't know. That's where we fall short. That's where we get stuck in a rut and stop experiencing and learning and growing in a relationship with Jesus Christ and the knowledge of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, religious pride can kind of look like this. It's like the old men that sit at the cafe with their free coffee, Right? And they're solving all the problems of the world. And they just think, man, if the rest of the world would do what we tell them, this place would be amazing. That's religious pride. That's religious pride. And it's, it becomes even more real when they say, you know, if everybody else would just do what we tell them to do, but then they don't do any of it. They don't apply their own teaching to their own lives. And that's the conversation that Paul is having with us here in Romans chapter 2. 
So religious pride is the old verbiage. If you're going to talk the talk, then walk the walk. But we very rarely see people walking. It doesn't happen that often. Walking is something that everybody else should do. The second problem with religion is this. Religious practice can't save you. In parable, Jesus explains this, this point very clearly in Luke 18, 11 through 14. He points out two men. He says, uh, two men went to the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up, and he prayed about himself. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Look at that religious pride. He obviously highly exalted himself and his view and his perform- of his performance because he was judging himself against the curve of humanity, of the culture. See, remember, God doesn't grade on a curve, but God grades on the absolute standard of his perfect holiness. Now, Jesus no longer pointing to the tax collector He's pointing over here. I'm sorry, he's no longer pointing to the Pharisees, but he's pointing over here to the tax collector. And he says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. And he would not even look up into heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then look what Jesus said about him. He says, I tell you that this man, this tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And this is Paul's point exactly. Not only to Jews, but also to us. See, our religious practice can't save us. Your giving to the church, your good deeds, your church attendance, your Bible reading, all of your religious activities, your Bible memorization. Paul even points to circumcision of the Old Testament sign of the covenant. Your baptism is a sign of the new covenant. It does not save you. See, we must remember that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So now, hear me out, everybody. Look, right up here, all right? That does not mean that we should get rid of our outward expressions of our faith. Does that make sense? All right, we do not get rid of our outward expressions of our faith, but we must know that our outward expressions do not mean that there is an inward heart change. There has to be a change from the inside out. When we, were, when we surrender to Christ, it's no longer you who lives, but it's Christ who lives in you. You no longer sit on the throne of your heart, but Jesus does. So now, after reading this text and really diving in and studying it and, and trying to understand and grasp what Paul was saying, I sat at my desk and I asked the Lord for forgiveness. I was heartbroken because I'm a product of the early, or late 90s, early 2000s church. 
And, and what that meant was that was a time when following Jesus meant that you burned your non-Christian CDs. Anybody do that? Right? Okay. Yep, there's some out there. Right? You, you, you burned all your non-Christian CDs or cassettes or whatever you had at the time. A, a, a time where you were not a Christian unless you wore Christian t-shirts. Right? Um, if you watched rated PG movies, PG-13 movies, and, and played video games, your salvation was questioned. And I'm not even going to talk about rated R movies. Right? Because I remember when The Passion of the Christ came out. Anybody remember that? It was early 2000s. Right? What was it rated? It was rated R. It was rated R. And so therefore, everybody in the church was going, oh, man. I want to go see it, but I don't know if I can't because it's got that R on it. It's a great depiction of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Right? But we battled with that. We battled with it in our minds because we thought our religion was based, our salvation was based on what we watched or not, what we wore or not, what we listened to or not. And I sat heartbroken there because early on in my walk with Christ and in my ministry, I missed the point. I missed the point. I was much like the Jews. I, I, I was taught and then I taught that a, a walk with Christ was based on the measurement of conformity to the customs of the religious culture. Rather than the understanding of God's amazing grace and freedom that he gives me to live for him. Now, we have to be careful with that. That doesn't mean that we just, oh, I'm free to do whatever. We're going to get to that later on in the book of Romans. But my salvation is not based on that. Early on in my ministry, I just taught kids, just stay away from rated R movies and wear the right clothes and don't listen to that stuff. Here's some DC talk, right? Right? <laughs> That wasn't the case. Their heart wasn't changed. The outside might have looked different, but there was no change in here, and I sat heartbroken. Because, see, I thought that if I just did the right things, if I say the right things, if I wear the right things, then my standing before God is good. And that's not right. That's not truth. And, see, since I did all the right things, at least what I allowed other people to see, I put on a good show. And I became really prideful. I am good. I follow Jesus in these outward things. And because of that, I believe I am right with God. But I was empty on the inside. I was empty. Because I always thought, man, there must be more than this. I must not be doing enough. I must put off something else in order to gain God. And if you're here this morning and you feel that way, repent. Just go to the Lord and repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I've put my faith and my hope in my outward appearance rather than putting my hope in the blood of Jesus Christ that takes away and covers all of my sin. Stop trying to outwardly look like Jesus, hoping that that's what Christianity is, and allow Jesus to reign in your heart. See, that's the problem with religion. I thought I was right before God. 
because I boasted in my relationship with him. But I was a hypocrite. I taught one thing and I lived another. I thought I was right with God because I wasn't like those people. And I think we can even get into the dangers of that within the church. Well, we're not like that church. And that's scary. But I wasn't right with God, and we're not right with God because of those things. I'm only right with God because I gave up, and I trusted Jesus completely. And I allowed him to live in my life and transform me from the inside. So we end with this. I was a sinner. I am a sinner. And I will continue to sin. And the only thing I can boast in is Jesus. The only thing you can boast in is Jesus. We are only made right before God because we put our trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and walked with him in faith. So if you have not taken the step to do that this morning, what's keeping you? Don't miss out. Put your faith in Christ alone and trust his work. Let's pray.